Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadscco.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Well, we're in Romans, and next week we're going to start in a three-part series called Authentic Christmas, looking at the book of Luke, but we're just going to perk. We're going to end with Romans today, then we'll pick back up uh, after Christmas when Romans chapter 10. But if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 9, as we talk about life of faith, power of grace, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a great and awesome God, and we thank you that the gospel has come into the world to give hope, to let us know that there is a love that you have which is incurable. There is a desire that you have to be in a relationship with us that is greater than our sin, that there is a purpose you have when we feel like we're purposeless that it all comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through what he accomplished on the cross. And so, Father, I pray as we go into your word today that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a kindergarten class, and they were taking a field trip to a police station. And they saw pictures tacked up on a bulletin board of the most wanted one of the youngsters was intrigued by these pictures and asked the officer if these were real photographs of the wanted people. Yes, the policeman stated, the detectives want them very badly. The child responded, well, why didn't they just keep them when they took their pictures? <laughs> well, we come now to that book, part of the book of Romans, chapter 9. And it's a turning point. It's a plot shift. It's a plot change within the book where Paul addresses a big why question in chapters 9 through 11. And it's a why question that was burning into the minds of his first century readers, which we don't necessarily share. It was a question that was burning on the the front burner of their own cerebral cortex, which we ourselves don't feel is quite connected to. But it's a vital question nonetheless that they were asking, and it has vital ramifications for us. And here is the big question, chapters 9 through 11, answer. Why did God's plan appear to fail amongst the Jewish people. And that the Jews were God's people, a nation, starting with Abraham up until the time Jesus came, who had existed for 2,000 years. And they were to be a light to the nations, and through them the promise of God was to be fulfilled. The Messiah was to come, and through them the Old Testament promises, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But by the time you come to the first century in Christianity, since Jesus has been around for about 30 years at the time of the writing of the book of Romans, by and large, the majority of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, has rejected Jesus. 
And this is a major plot twist. And there were Jews who are a minority in the congregation in Rome, and they're asking the question, did God's plan fail? Does God's promises not always work? Now, we've been in chapter 8 for the last three weeks. It's an awesome chapter. It begins in chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation. And it ends in verses 38 and 39, no separation. In fact, if we look by way of the screen, here's how Paul ends Romans chapter 8. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as you read chapter 8, somebody was telling me for the service, I just love Romans chapter 8. I read it over and over and over. I said, well, what do you think about chapter 9? Don't even know what's in it. For good reason, because as Paul is at the pinnacle of chapter 8, in chapter 9, it is like he takes a complete emotional and spiritual nosedive, as we're going to see in a few moments, as Paul expresses this deep and horrible anguish in the opening verses of chapters 1 and 2. And this anguish is over his kinsmen, the Jewish people, who have by and large rejected Jesus. And he's got pain and he's got this burden. And folks, I, I like that this plot twist is here because that is often in our spiritual journey, isn't it? Sometimes things are going tremendous. We're on the mountaintop and God is doing so much. No condemnation, no separation. And then there's this nosedive where the present and the future doesn't look like the past. And there's this plot twist within our lives. And if we're going to be successful in our journey with Jesus, we've got to learn how to navigate by faith in those plot twists. Some of us, we've been gung-ho for ministry. You've been so involved in the church for several years, sacrificing and giving and planning and serving and loving, but through those years, you've had disappointment and hurt and difficulty and maybe times of failure, and it hasn't worked out the way you thought it would, and in life and the way you thought ministry would be is, is taking a plot twist. And like Romans chapter 9, you're kind of in this nosedive. You're really struggling. You had a plan for your life, a career, how you thought things would go, how you thought life would turn out, and then this injury takes place, and now you're on disability, and you don't quite know what to do, and and there's this plot twist. I was a couple of days ago with a man, and his wife was in the other room, and and she's dying, she's passing away, and, and I'm looking at him, I'm saying, sir, how does faith enter into your life to help you at a time like this? Because I didn't know where he was at. And he said to me, I've had so many disappointments and difficulties, I've, I've long given up trying to figure out if God has a plan. And you might be here this morning, you might be 
thinking, I've got so many disappointments. I've got so many failures. Life hasn't worked out the way that I hoped that it would. And you're wondering, have I missed God's plan? Has God's promises for me not worked? And if you're asking that question this morning, I want to tell you that you're not big enough and you're not strong enough to mess up and to blow up God's plan. And that whenever we have failures, whenever we have disappointments, whenever those plot twists are going on within our lives, here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And what we learn is that in every situation where there is a plot twist or there is a failure or there is a difficulty, it becomes the opportunity that God elevates His love. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans. So we address this historic question of the Jews, and then we look at how it overlays into the disappointments and the plot twists of our own lives. Romans chapter 9. We're going to start off in verses 1 to 3. And in these opening verses, Paul gives these three self-assertions. And then he gives these two uh, descriptions of his own grief. Verse 1. Paul says, I speak the truth in Jesus Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, guys... (laughs) I'm getting right to the core of who I am. I want you to know how deeply, deeply I feel and believe this. Number two, verse 2, I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Verse 4, the people of Israel. What a statement. If my people could be saved, I would be willing to be eternally separated from God for their salvation. And I have to be honest, my mind has trouble wrapping itself around that confession. But what was the situation that brought Paul such grief? And it's so hard for us as modern Americans to understand what's going on back then, but let me try to give you a picture that can maybe help it to make sense. Imagine it's 2045. You are a missionary in China. You have been there starting today for to 2045 for 25 years. You've went over to one of the provinces of China. You've learned the language. You've gotten to understand the culture. The work was difficult at first, but eventually a few hundred people came to Christ. And after 25 years, you've had thousands of Chinese who have come to Christ. And throughout the province, you've had churches established in every major city of that province. And now they're sending out missionaries and disciple makers from those churches. And now there's a movement that's going way beyond yourself. And to your remarkable surprise, those Chinese who have come to Jesus Christ are abandoning communism. And in abandoning communism, 
They're starting to embrace democracy. Even in their small groups, they'll study the works of Madison and Hamilton and Jefferson and our own American Constitution. And they're starting to hold these local elections. And they're starting to taste freedom, not only spiritually, but politically. As you've been there for 10 years, the movement grew so much that you no longer needed funding from the United States. Your funding has come from the Chinese for the last 15 years, and you've been out of touch with what's going on in America. But then like the Bettingers, you're on furlough. You've kind of finally come back to the United States. And as you come back to the United States, you see that your own country, your own home area is now a dictatorship that the people of America have given up on freedom of discipline, of patriotism, of democracy. They've more given up their rights and they have more turned the control of their lives over to the state. And now more of the police and the government are running everything. But even worse, you go back to your local church the church that sent you and supported to you, and it's all boarded up, it's all shut down, it's no longer in existence as a, as a church. And not only is it that way in your church, but it's that way throughout the United States as you see churches closed up everywhere. And if you had that experience, what would it do to your heart? It would be absolutely devastating. That is the situation which Paul was in. The Jewish people for 2,000 years who have been called and given the promises of God and through who the Messiah came and through whom the lifeblood of the gospel, the womb from which it came, were now rejecting Jesus. They had rejected the Messiah. And within eight years of this time, In 70 AD, the nation of Israel will be completely destroyed. The Romans will come in and the Jewish people will be dispersed. And that is where Paul and the Jews are at. They're like, what's going on? Why did the gospel fail? And what does the gospel mean for this situation for the Jews? And what I want us to see as we go deeper into our passage is that though the Jewish people had failed, God had not failed. And whenever there was the increase of sin or the increase of rebellion, God used it as an opportunity to elevate His love. And when we come to chapter 11, we're going to see what God's plan for the nation of Israel still is. But let's think about this in the bigger picture. It was in the 90s, my first church had the opportunity to teach through all of the 66 books of the Bible. It took about two and a half years. And it was quite an eye-opener. It was really the best education I ever had from whatever I learned in seminary, anything else. Is that for two and a half years, I went through every single book of the Bible and just simply taught on it. And I got a great picture of what the, what the whole a thrust of the Bible is about. And from beginning to end, I came to understand that the Bible is an outrageous love story. It's an outrageous love story of God's incurable love for humanity. 
in His rescuing, in His searching for people so that they could find freedom and love and know that there's hope beyond their wildest dreams. And that whenever humanity's rebellion has increased, God has always elevated His love. Let's think about it starting with Adam and Eve. We all know the story. God created Adam and Eve. And He says, look, this whole earth is yours. I want to rule with you. I want to live with you. I want to reign with you for eternity. I want to give you the run of the whole place. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. But he gives them one stipulation and only one. He says, there's this tree in the middle of the garden. I don't want you to eat from it. That's it. Not too big of a deal. It's kind of like going to this super dealership that has seven different makes of cars and 50 different models. And the dealer says, you can drive, you can have all of the cars. I just don't want you to have one. You just can't drive the Ford Focus. No big deal, is it? And that's what God does with Adam and Eve. You can have the run of the whole place. You just can't have one particular tree. We look at that and we're familiar with that story and we ask, well, why the one stipulation? Why even prohibit the one tree? And I think the reason is, is that sound kind of arbitrary? But I think the reason is it was kind of a test. It was a twofold test. It was a love test. It was a loyalty test. See, God says, I want you to choose to love me. If you're in a marriage... You don't want your spouse to have to love you. You want them to want to love you. In a friendship, you don't want the friend to have to like you. You want them to want to like you. And so God says, I want you to choose to love me. And here's the test of that love. You don't do this one thing. In that way, with all that I've given you, I know that you are choosing to love me, not because of what I give, but because of who I am. But second, it was a loyalty test. God was saying, I'm the creator, you're the created. I am God and you are not. And because you do this one thing, it is a test to show that you will obey me, that you will believe in me, that you will serve me. Just this one thing. And we know the results of that. They broke that stipulation. And the world fell into sin. And when things fall, they become broken. And the world became broken in a big way. And within one generation, their children are now committing murder. You go through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and you see the flood and the Tower of Babel. And you see humanity becoming worse and worse and worse. But God says in the midst of their rebellion, I will elevate my love. And he has this plan now that as the nations are formed, God says, I will take one nation, one nation that is small, that is insignificant, that is the least significant of all the nations, and I will elevate them. They will be a light to the world. They will showcase who I am, my glory. They will obey my commands. And as they are a light to the nations... The nations will look to them and say, what makes you different? What makes you blessed? And through their witness, all the other nations will know that I am God. And so we pick up in verse 4. 
God is going to elevate his love through the nation of Israel. And here in verses 4 and 5, Paul relates seven blessings, seven meaning fullness, the fullness of love that he gives to the nation of Israel. And so from Abraham, as the nation grows, he says in verse 4, theirs is the adoption to sonship. They're adopted. You know, you and I are adopted as sons. Romans 8 tells us that. And to be adopted as sons means that God gives us the same honor and the same love that He gives to His own Son, Jesus Christ. That when we're adopted as sons, that God places upon us the same value He does upon Jesus. And so that means that through all of the circumstances of our lives, we can grow up into the beauty of God's promises and knowing His likeness. Well, that's what He did first of all with the nation of Israel. He says, I am adopting you. You are my children. I am with you, number one. Number two, He says, theirs is the divine glory. God had placed His spiritual DNA The fire by night, the clouds by day as they traveled. There in the temple, He placed His glory right there in the Holy of Holies. They had the very glory and presence of God. Theirs is the covenants. God gave an agreement and He said, I will bind my future with your future, my well-being with your well-being. And so He places Himself in an eternal relationship. Theirs is the receiving of the law. He gave them the standards, His commands, His guidelines for living according to His character, the temple worship and the promises. Verse 5, and theirs are the patriarchs the great leaders of the Old Testament. God elevated His love. He says, I will bless you completely so that you will be a light to the nations. And they lived up to this for a brief moment under King David and under Solomon. But by and large, the nation of Israel squandered the blessings of God. They turned to idols. They turned to rebellion. They turned to the pathetic gods of the other nations. And despite all of that, God says, though you rebel against me, I will elevate my love. And if you've been reading the Bible through in a year, as we've been doing that as a church since last January, right now we're reading about the prophets, Hosea. God sent His prophets over and over to warn them and to bring Israel back. And what did they do to God's prophets? They spit in their face. They persecuted them. They even killed them. And you come to the final prophet, the book of Malachi, and you find that God's standards are rejected. I read the story of a Jewish rabbi who was teaching his students. And he asked them the question, who is the most tragic who is the most abused and rejected figure of the Bible, the Old Testament? And several answers were proffered, and the Jewish rabbi said correctly, it is God. It is God who has been spurned, who has been rejected by His people. But despite all of that, God says, I'm not done. Even though you rebel against me, even though you rebel against my plan, I will elevate my love. And I will send to you my son. 
And as I send to you my son, he will die for your sins. He will die for your rebellion. And not only for you as a Jewish people, but for all of the nations of the world. And we look in verse 5. And it says, and from them. Notice the nation that repeatedly rebelled and failed against God. From them who have not lived according to his God's plan is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Can you mess up God's plan? Are you big enough? Are you strong enough to mess up God's plan? I don't think so. I want to tell you a story. It's, if I could have the picture of Dale and Corey Hahn. Dale is the dad and Corey is the son in this picture. And grew up in California, San Jose. And Dale encouraged Corey to play baseball from T-ball to Little League on into high school. And he was there to coach his son, encourage him, toss the ball, show him how to bat all the techniques of baseball. And, and Corey just excelled and he excelled and he excelled. And there in California, he did so well, he got the distinguished ward of Mr. Baseball. At the end of his high school career, it was the San Diego Padres who offered him a position on the team with a salary of $300,000 a year. But he rejected that and chose to take a scholarship to play at Arizona State University because he wanted to grow and develop and hone and refine his skills. And his dad was there as his biggest cheerleader, his coach, and as his, his encourager. But his life took a plot twist. It was in his first season at his third game. As he was sliding into second base, going in head first, that he broke his neck and he became a quadriplegic. He was paralyzed from the chest down with limited use of his hands and his arms. And a kid who could throw five innings and throw a perfect game who could hit the ball incredibly, was now just struggling under the greatest effort to wash his hair or to eat a hamburger. Life had taken a plot twist. It had taken a great change. And Corey says this, he says, My goals at that time didn't take days anymore. They took months. They took years. And there were times I would wonder what's better, being dead or being like this. But then I would look up and I would see my dad and I would think, if he can do this with me, then I can do it. And Corey went back from there and he could no longer play baseball, but he went back to Arizona State campuses, campus and he took on his studies and Dale moved into, his dad moved into an extended stay hotel down the street and together he would get Corey ready for his daily classes. And each day would bring a little more independence for Corey. And just recently he celebrated that Corey was able to use his once lifeless hands to wash his own hair. And Corey is able to feed himself only after countless days of practicing with his dad. Corey says, it was really messy, but we did it. And then he would drive, his dad would drive him to campus in his truck where 
they would go from a street to the parking spot of Corey's first class, with Corey wheeling himself most of the way. And Dale says this as dad, I see all these college kids running and skating across campus, and then I see Corey just chugging along in his chair, the world moving past him. And I am so, so proud of him. He says, and we live for these little victories because we are a team. And after lunch, he'll take his son to the gym and he'll get some therapy and then he'll take him maybe to hang out with some friends or to watch a game. And then by the time 11 p.m. rolls around, at which point his father will return to his room, lay him in his bed, put the television timer on and then slip out with a simple good night, buddy. And then Dale was asked this question, why do you do this? Why do you do this for your son? And here's his response. And I think his response reflects the very heart of God. He says, when you're a dad, you're a dad forever. And when you come to Romans 9 through 11, Paul says, because God is a dad and he has adopted the people of Israel, and as he adopted us as his children, he is a dad forever. And that your life and my life may have some plot twist. We might be paralyzed at times by our own failures, by our own sin, by our own struggles, by our own disappointments. We may be paralyzed by what others have done or have not done to us, but we have a God who still sticks into our corner. He is still our Father, and I want to tell you that if you're willing to believe and trust in Him, you have not messed up, nor have you missed His plan. But He is still there with you in the midst of the plot twist. Well, let me give you a couple of transferable truths this morning as we take what we're learning this morning and how do we apply it to Monday through Saturday? Let me give you a couple of encouragements. And the first one is this. Don't lose your blessings. Don't lose your blessings. Have you failed God's plan? Yes, you have. I failed His plan. I don't live up to it perfectly. But in the midst of my failures, in the midst of your failures, we serve a God who elevates His love towards us. And in elevating His love, He gives us the opportunity to start over and to do it again and to go at those next victories that God has for us. And folks, don't waste the opportunities that God is giving you when He elevates His love. You may be given all kinds of advantages right now. You've grown up in church. Your parents have been Christians. They've loved you. You know so much and you've been blessed with so much. God has given you advantages, but there is a warning that we see from the Jews that if you don't take advantage of those advantages, they do you no good. And so... As God elevates His love, it's not an opportunity to sit and soak and sour, but rather it's an opportunity for repentance. You're at a place, you've got setbacks, you know you've blown it, you know you've sinned, 
You know you've been in rebellion and you know you're dealing with the consequences of it. And in the midst of this, God elevates His love. And He doesn't do that so you, you condone your sin, but rather that you turn in repentance and that you be restored and that you be healed. I've been a pastor here. I'm having a blast. I love being a pastor here at Crossroads Community Church. But we don't have it all together. We fall short. God's growing us. God's maturing us. But when we fall short and we don't have it all together, God just elevates His love toward us. And He says, I'm going to continue to bless you Not so that you can waste your resources, but so that you can be involved in the most important task of life, and that is to rescue people from hell. To meet people in their deepest points of needs. To come alongside people and disciple them, and to help them to find their place and their purpose in God, and to make Jesus look like the treasure that He is. And God elevates His love so that we will be on mission, passing on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. Number two, don't lose your belief. Don't lose your belief. In the plot twist you're in right now, life may not be easy, but I want to guarantee you that Jesus can be known. And that is the greatest gift. There might be difficulty in your plot twist, but right now there is the opportunity where God is elevating His love and Jesus can be more fully and completely known and loved and worshipped and embraced. Is someone disappointing you right now? Is that plot twist not something that you have decided, but something that someone has decided for you or has done to you? This is the opportunity for you to maybe elevate your love towards them. Are you afraid you've missed out on God's plan? You haven't. You're not that big. You're not that powerful. But if you will come to God with a humble heart and say, Go God, elevate your love in my life right now. I want to invite the worship team and our prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer for any reason over to the the left side of the sanctuary, there'll be people there just to pray for you on whatever need or whatever concern you may have. And I want to invite the rest of us to stand. And I'd like us to read Romans chapter 9 verse 5 together. And you think about these people, the Jews, the nation of Israel, who so failed God. But in the midst of their failures, God elevated His love. And so starting with the word and, let's read that together. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Notice it says Jesus is God over all. What a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ right there, isn't it? He is God over all, and that means He's God over all of your fears. He is God over all your guilt. He is God over all your stress. He is God over all your unpaid bills. He is God over your sickness. 
He is God over your failures. He is God over your disappointments. Let's worship Him because He's elevated our His love in our lives. Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadscco.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message.